I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode of Ladies Who Punt is brought to you by LWP members. To future-proof the podcast you love, make sure you sign up to become a member today. Field is ready. They're racing in the Oaks. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Ladies Who Punt. We are the podcast that makes racing make sense. My name is Fiona Blair and with me today again is the lovely Grace Ramage. Hello Grace, how are you going? How's your week been? Hello Fee, all is well from my end this week. Um, hope everybody listening to this episode of Ladies Who Punt can say the same thing. It's been pretty hot and humid. In fact, not humid at all, I should say. It's just been hot and blustery. Um, over the past few days, but it's been it's been a, a really good week. How good was Blue Diamond Stakes Day last Saturday? And now all systems head back towards Flemington for the running of the Australian Guineas. So we will be taking a look at the Australian Guineas first today on our preview, and then we will head quickly up to Sydney for the Surround Stakes, which is the three-year-old fillies race up there over 1,400 metres, a group two, and then back down to Flemington for the Blamey Stakes, a quick look at that as well. But Grace, before we go into our previews, I thought it might be fun for us to do uh, another race reaction with you with the Blue Diamond. How would you feel about doing that? I think it's a really good idea, Fee, because it's actually a great race um, to review in general, like to actually work out or, or to compare what we thought going into the Blue Diamond Stakes to what actually transpired. Now, we had done our full preview last week and we had established that it was a really deep race. We thought that there would be some big Colts and one very classy filly that would be sort of, you know, dominant and um, far superior for the rest of the field. But it is racing and there are they are, in particular in this race, two-year-olds and, you know, they're inexperienced and, um, you know, they're, they're not the full product yet. So things can go a little bit pear-shaped in in terms of how you're expecting things to shape up. And that's exactly what happened in the Blue Diamond Stakes. I thought Coleman was the horse to beat and he was flat out disappointing. So let's just go and Mm. press play on the Blue Diamond Stakes here. I've got it on my phone on the racing.com app. I'm watching it. Firstly, they begin out of the shoot start at the 1,200 metres. I couldn't believe my eyeballs when I saw Spywire, who has had the busiest couple of months up to the Gold Coast and back um, and who knows where else, shoot to the front and lead Lady of Camelot, who is fast in her own right. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, the connections of Lady of Camelot were thinking the exact same thing, like, what is this horse doing? Did not map him to be there. Like, I thought he'd go forward, but not as fast and aggressively as he did. So what that meant, Spywire heading um, Lady of Camelot, um, stay focused is right there. What it meant for all these horses is that they were really charging along and it definitely set up for horses toward the rear of the field. At this point in time, they've just entered the home straight. I'm watching Coleman and he is going Absolutely nowhere. Hayasugi to his outside um, went past him very quickly and then she was so strong late. With every single 50 metres, she is just taking ground, eating the ground to be, um, you know, just there over the line beating Lady of Camelot. I think there's no doubt looking at the field or the way that the race was run. Hayasugi was um, in the right spot. You know, she was... The, the race set up for a horse to be toward the rear and fast finishing. Like we've seen so many results and winners of the Blue Diamond Stakes in the past. Like I think of Artorias who literally wasn't even in contention for the race until like the last 50 metres or so where he just came from the clouds because he loved that fast tempo, got back and rattled home with very strong weight. But no other horse that was back there with Hayasugi was able to do what she did. So I think it's a case of Hayasugi mm. is um, a very, very good filly. There's no doubt about that. She 
has proved that because she won the preview, the prelude, and the blue diamond. That is so rare to do. Like there's only a handful of horses that have ever done that. Um, and it's it's an incredible achievement, to be honest. She has taken every single step this whole campaign and just thrived and showed that she can take the next step and step up in distance and still, regardless of what the race shape is, get the job done. So she is an exceptional filly. She's a very deserving winner of the race. She was clearly the best horse in the race. But what I will say is that there was some merit to a couple of other horses' um, performances. The first one, Lady of Camelot. Considering how fast they went early, I think it's fair to say, and it is a race, so, um, you know, Hayasugi was the one who was in the right spot at the right time and has got the class. But if they didn't go as hard and if Spywire didn't cross Lady of Camelot like that and, you know, make that horse work and, and the whole leading pack just going way too fast early, I think Lady of Camelot wins purely because she would have been able to drop her head better, not be chasing from a long way out, sort of within her own rhythm. Um, and I think Lady of Camelot was so, so brave in defeat given that. Um, and then you've got, let's talk about Coleman and High Octane because they were, these were two cults that were really well on the market and had shown that, you know, had, had a big boom on them from what they'd done leading in. And we spoke about them at length in the preview show last week. I think for especially Coleman, it was just a case of too much too soon. So um, they had come through mm. smaller fields. Coleman especially had sort of been able to jump out of the barriers, gather his feet, find his spot, you know, truck into the bend and then let rip and, you know, just sort of do it really easily. This race and the way that it set up was not easy. Nothing about it was easy. It, you needed to have a very mentally tough horse. You needed a horse that knew what their job was, knew how to chase and fight and find the line. And Coleman just does not know how to do that yet. I think that's very clear. He was so disappointing on face value given the market expectation, what we'd seen from him in the past. He's rated down significantly. There's no doubt. But I think it's because of the fact wow. that, um, you know, it just was too much for him. He just didn't really know how to travel properly mm. on that on that strong tempo on that very strong tempo and then you know when he when he was asked to come off the bridle and give his final effort um he was sort of just like threw in the towel almost like horses all around him cluttered up and he just mm. he just didn't rise to the occasion which you need to be able to do in a blue diamond stake so look i think that there are some excuses there definitely but you have to give full credit to Hayasugi because at every step she has proved that she is the toughest and she is the smartest and she's got the best racing manners and she knows what her job is. So um, very deserving Blue Diamond Stakes winner. She probably heads up to Sydney now for the Golden Slipper. Um, traditionally, Blue Diamond winners or Blue Diamond place getters have not got a great record in the Slipper because they've already peaked to get to this far. Then to ask them to peak and go mm. to a new level again after travelling up to Sydney is a big effort, but looking forward to see what she can do there. Lady of Camelot, um, yeah, so much merit to her one, her run. If Spire Wire doesn't cross her, I think she wins. I guess, Grace, looking in hindsight, we should have known Hayasugi was going to run a good race. She was paying $16 at the jump. Why do you think so many of us overlooked her? given her, her winning record going into the race? Well, it's a really interesting one because in hindsight, what we should have thought was winners win. Like Hayasugi's got the runs on the board. She yes. knows what her job is. She has, you know, what I've already said, gone about her job perfectly thus far. We can safely assume that she is going to do that again. Whereas, as so often, you can get caught up with like the boom horses, um, but they Coleman, high octane, mm. well, bodyguard was obviously scratched. He didn't take his place. But they had a boom on them for a reason because they have got serious motors. But what they, in hindsight, hadn't done yet necessarily was prove themselves on um, on that sort of high-pressure occasion, I suppose. But it's to your racing, like it's it's almost mm. impossible to know. I, I think yeah. for me, Fee, like I'm probably the sort of person that, for example, with King Get King's Gambit in the Oakley Plate when we discussed that, I couldn't be with King's Gambit mm. because I hadn't seen him do it yet. I think that's generally my my stance mm. is I wait until I actually see it to believe it. I don't just like say, oh, well, this horse did that. Now he's going to go here. That's my expectation. So that's what he's going to do. But I sort of did do that with Coleman, I suppose. Um, but, yeah, mm. in terms of why we overlooked Hayasugi was because we were so focused on 
those big cults and also Lady of Camelot. But as I've already said, Lady of mm. Camelot was as good as a winner, in my opinion. And yep, we should have paid more attention to Hayasugi yeah. because she is a winner and she'd already proven that she can um, rise to the challenge time and time again. Yeah, a good lesson to remember not to believe all the hype, I guess, you mm -hmm. know, that yet there's the media sort of turns the volume up on some of these horses, which means um, others are able to sort of hide in the shadows and, and come out and cause a bit of an upset. So Definitely. Even though it's not an upset because she was going so well heading into it. Uh, so a good lesson for all of us to um, not drink the Kool-Aid, I guess, <laughs> yeah. in terms of who we should be looking at uh, in a field. Well, that was really interesting, Grace. Thank you so much for taking us through that. I always learn so much when um, I go through a race replay with you, and I'm sure our listeners do too. Uh, we will be putting up the replay video with Grace on socials. So if you want to watch it as she watches the race, make sure you go and check out our social feeds. They'll be up there. Well, I think it's time we get into this week's racing, Grace. So let's kick off with the Australian Guineas. Okay, Grace, we have the Australian Guineas. For those who may not have listened to our earlier episodes, we've done a whole episode talking about different race classes and things like that. So when you hear Guineas, it means three-year-olds generally over the mile or maybe a little bit further. So this weekend, it's the Australian Guineas at Flemington Race 8. We have number one, Riff Rocket, as our $2.40 favourite. And then on tied for second favourite is V8, and King Colorado in at $7.50. And then Southport Tycoon comes in on the third line of betting at $12. Before we start chatting about the runner's grace, I have a few form indicators to share with you. So firstly, the CS Hayes is by far the most important lead up race into the Australian Guineas. Um, since 2015, there's been four winners of the CS Hayes Australian Guineas double. The most recent was Alligator Blood in 2020, but we really want to be watching those horses in that race because that has produced the most winners in the past. Another really important point to take notice of is what price the horse is paying. So out of the last 37 winners, 24 of them have been paying under $6. Mm. So if you went with that form indicator, the only option you have is Riff Rocket at the moment at $2.40. Now, just one Guineas winner has won off a lead-up performance outside of fourths, and that was Luna Fox in 2021. So basically, whoever you're looking at, you want to be, they want to be in form and they want to be running top four in their race leading into the Australian Guineas. The last one that's really interesting is that history tells us it's very hard to win from a barrier outside of nine. Mm. Only three horses have managed that in the last 30 plus years. So sometimes form indicators in races can be a little bit soft and like, you're like, I don't really know what, the, you know, I don't really know how much um, store I can put on that. But I feel like these ones are really, really strong with the stats mm. they're producing. Like there's definitely certain profiles that will have a much stronger winning chance if you go off the form indicators. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, listening to those form indicators, it very much feels like this is a good horses race. So the, the you know, main chance or main couple of chances are the ones that really stamp their authority into the Australian guineas. It's a race that it's not it's not hard to find the winner because, you know, you've got the, the big guns in the betting and they generally go out and show that they are, superior to the rest of their age group at group one level over the mile at Flemington. So yes, I think that's a very, very good point to raise. Don't necessarily in history worry about some of those at a bigger price that, you know, might be able to, um, you know, run, run a, a solid race and you would expect then the top ones in the betting to rate down. This has traditionally been a race where the big guns go and really perform to expectation and are just superior. And I think the market definitely sets up for that. You know, I was looking at this race and thinking, all right, I've got my top three. Um, I'm very keen on them. But then the form around them, there's probably another three or four or five horses that have done hardly anything wrong in behind the big three. Maybe they can turn the tables. Mm -hmm. But after listening to your form factors, I'm now going to change my opinion and think they can't turn the tables. You know, they were beaten last start. So yeah. we're going to stick with the big guns who are going to, 
you know, beat them again. We have to start with Riff Rocket. He was a little bit underestimated, I suppose, in the CSA's stakes last start because he was first up and because he was coming off the back of a VRC Derby mm -hmm. win over 2,500 metres. So we're all thinking, right, this is just a kickoff point. You're going to progress on towards maybe the ATC Derby or a South Australian or a Queensland Derby. Like you'll just steadily work through your gears. But no, he was absolutely electric first up, winning the CSA stakes. So, you know, he's the first big gun. He beat King Colorado, who on the day I had as my best bet of the day because I thought that King Colorado, it was his time with a run under his belt in the CSA stakes to win and show his class and put his hand up as a key Australian Guineas chance. But he was beaten fair and square by Riff Rocket. So I'm thinking mm. that Riff Rocket is probably going to beat him again on Saturday and King Colorado's drawn barrier 12, which is a bit sticky. He does have blinkers going on, but still... I'm not with him on Saturday. Like he was beaten fair and square. I thought he would, I thought he was better than that and he wasn't. So Roof Rocket is clearly one of those that is right at the top of betting for good reason. The one thing I will say about Roof Rocket is that he's had three first up runs now. He's only still a lightly raced horse. But um, every time that he's returned to the races, he has run a dynamite race fresh. He always runs really well first up. He's obviously, you know, um, got plenty of sharpness and freshness in his legs and he sprints very quickly first up over the 1400 meters. He is yet to win. It's only been in two attempts. I know he's yet to win second up. So he goes to this level first up and then he sort mm. of just rakes down a bit second up, which is a very typical thing for staying type of horses because they sprint really well fresh and then they quickly become dour, whether it's the way that they're being trained. And when I say dour, I mean, they just don't, quicken like they used to that that electricity in their in their finishing bursts sort of isn't there anymore and it you know when you're training stayers you're not training them to be able to sprint you're training them to be able to um stay and have plenty of stamina right so yeah. i don't i also yeah. trust chris Waller to still have trained this horse to have the freshness and sharpness in his legs to be effective again over the 1600 meters but it is just a slight niggling query that i'm thinking you're going to be going back yeah. from barrier nine. I hadn't noticed that. That's really interesting. Yeah, you're going to be going back from mm -hmm. barrier nine. And if this race does set up where you do need to reel off a, a really sharp last 600 or a last 800 meter sectional, maybe there are going to be others that are going to sprint better than him that are going to be closer. So he's he might just still be way too good. He very much very well could be, but he's not my top selection because of that. My top selection in the race is definitely V8 at the price as well. Mm. Because, like, what ha what more can yep. this horse do? Like, he's won an Australian stakes. I know. What has he done wrong? Yeah. Like, he won yeah. the Australian stakes first up, beating the older horses at weight for age over 1,200 metres. Massive tick. Then he goes and he absolutely does not disgrace himself behind Mr. Brightside and Pride of Jenny, only beaten just over a length in the CF4 stakes. And now he's here draws a perfect barrier in barrier six. Damien Lane, who is an exceptional mm -hmm. jockey, will mm -hmm. get it right. He can be just behind the speed somewhere. 1,600 metres is a query, but I think that he will prove to everybody that it's actually no problems. Yeah, I mean, like, he came second in the Guineas in the spring. Like, he's obviously furnished a lot more since then. Um, so I don't know if 1,600 – like, he hasn't won at 1,600 metres, but he certainly performed at that distance. Yeah. And yeah, I was a bit shocked to see him at $7.50 with King Colorado, exactly for what you've said, Grace. Like, he hasn't done anything wrong. And in terms of our form indicators, he's ticking the barrier. He's barrier six, so within the nine. He's fourth in his lead up, so that's a tick. The only one he's not ticking is six dollars, and I think that's you know because he's paying overs. I think he should be yeah. you know, six dollars or under, considering the class of races he's been running in. He definitely has to firm on the day. I'll be shocked if V eight starts mm. seven dollars fifty or bigger. I think he has to firm on the day and throughout betting. Um, Roof Rock will probably remain really solid in the betting, but. Yeah, I think that he is going to challenge for favoritism or, or at least, um, you know, firm into $5 or something like that. It's just there's too much to like about what V8's doing um, and the way that this race sets up for him. So he is my top selection in the race. Um, I also just want to talk about the other form or the other lead-up race, which isn't as um, prolific in terms of producing winners as the CSA stakes. It's the Autumn Stakes won by Snow Patrol over 1,400 metres. So he beat Southport Tycoon there. 
And again, Southport Tycoon was like, well, this is my race to win. I've got the right run under the belt. I've got plenty of ability. Here I am. And Snow Patrol was like, mm, no, actually, I'm way better than you. Like, again, Snow Patrol, <laughs> I feel like Southport Tycoon won't turn the tables on Snow Patrol. He was first up Snow Patrol. He had been so unlucky in a couple of starts last preparation that we really hadn't seen the best of him. Um, jump outs were good. His first up win last prep showed that he was a nice horse. So he's come back and stamped what he can do, and that is good enough to be figuring in the finish of an Australian Guineas. So I'm not discrediting his chances at all. I think now second up he can improve again and be right in the right in the mix. He's sort of profiling a little bit like Riff Rocket, Riff Rocket Grace, just looking at his first up and second up record. Like he's very good first up, two from two, but then second up he's had one attempt for a third. So I'm wondering if they're sort of similar in that sense. It'll be interesting to see how they go against each other. The other one I wanted to chat to you about was Verdad Grace, who is a horse that I don't know why, but I always love seeing him race and I always sort of follow him a little bit. I think he did well to come fourth in the CSA stakes given his run. He isn't a horse that has, you know, that electric turn of foot like Riff Rocket displayed on Saturday. He's sort of a horse that needs to be on speed and building into his run. And he just did not have that chance on Saturday in the CS Hayes Stakes. So he was quite far back, um, you know, further back than probably we've seen him in a while. Um, and then he just struggled to really get clear galloping room in the straight, which is really what he needs to build into his work. So he got held up a bit and then bumped around a bit as well. So I actually thought he recovered really well to run third and then, you know, Putting an extra 200 metres on that race, um, I think is, is you know, he comes out better again, like just having that time to, to build in and, and get his revs up. And he's paying quite a price too, Grace. So at the moment, he is $19, $4.60 to place. So I'm going to have a one by three on him. I'd be shocked if he won, but stranger things have happened. And I definitely think he can run a place. I absolutely agree, Fee. He is definitely the horse that I'm I'm betting on for sure. So I think I think V eight is <clears throat> Oh. So I think V eight is my my tip in the race. I think he'll win, but Vidad will probably be my next selection because of the price. You can have an each way bet on him. A pretty you know, at that price, it's a fantastic each way play. Mm. So let's just talk about that price for a moment. Okay, it's two dollars roof rockets two dollars forty and Vidad is twenty one dollars. If you have a look at what they what the prices for each horse was first up in the CSA stakes, Roof Rocket was seven dollars. He was actually eleven dollars into seven dollars late, and Verdad was seven dollars fifty. So there was nothing between their prices hmm. first up, and now, even though like Roof Rocket beat him, didn't beat him far. Verdad was a touch unlucky, as you've already highlighted. No. What's the what's the price discrepancy? Like mm. it should not be. It's that crazy. big, like Vedad should not be $21. He should be yeah. $9, $10. Like no. I'm just baffled yeah. by his price. I think he's a really, really good value bet. Um, I suppose the form indicators would say that, you know, you don't really have rough chances winning an Australian Guineas. But again, it's one of those ones where I just can't understand why he's that price. And I think he will firm on the day. Yeah. So yeah, he's definitely, he's definitely got a great chance. And um especially from barrier three, wouldn't be surprised to see them potentially try and even hold the lead maybe here or, or if they can't hold the lead, they'll just settle mm. behind the leader in the box seat. Perfect setup for him. So, yeah, I think he's a really, really mm -hmm. good chance. Excited to see what Verdad can do. Yeah, and I think probably the theme that, that is establishing here for this race, Grace, is we've got to watch the market, right, because the opening prices just seem a bit bizarre for a few of these horses mm -hmm. considering – what they've done and and you know we spoke earlier about watching out for the boom on horses and Riff Rocket I feel like he is underestimated quite a bit and then he comes out and does something extraordinary and then the boom the boom's there and you know it's it's hard for him to sort of to live up to it I guess mm. um so yeah it'd be very interesting to see how the betting changes but dad did start at 26 so there's definitely been people going this is absurd. He shouldn't be paying that much. I'm going to have a bet. Um, so, yeah, but, I'm really interested to see 
I'm sure V8 will come down. The dad will come down. Even Snow Patrol is paying, you know, $13. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I think the good lesson to learn out of that is that this, when you find horses, when you're looking at a race um, and you find a horse, you just are so puzzled by the horse's price and you think, well, this is seems way too big. That's, that is essentially what we're looking for. That is when you bet, when you find, mm. I mean, that's what, that's what um, mm-hmm. all the punters, the pro punters, the people that take it seriously, that's what they are doing. They are going through a race actually sort of coming up with their own market saying, I think this will should be this dollars reflecting it to the actual market and saying, hang on the, the, you know, the sports bet the tab market's got this so wrong. That's your opportunity to take advantage and to bet. And that's how you, if you do that time and time again, you're always beating the market um, and taking prices that are going to be mm. way bigger than their starting price is when you're getting value and that's when you can be profitable as a punter. So, yeah, that's a good lesson to learn. If you're ever confused by the price, don't be, um, don't think, oh, maybe I've done something wrong. That's actually when you back yourself and go, right, I'm going to I'm gonna have a go here and see <laughs> what the market does on the day. And, um, yeah, that's that's basically the aim of the game when it comes to punting. Grace, I think there's a couple other horses we should mention that are having a kickoff run here in the Australian Guineas horses that we were familiar with through the spring, especially in the Derby, which Riff Rocket won very narrowly to Apulia, who is number four on Saturday. Uh, Barrier 15, not great at all, um, but considering he's a Derby horse, uh, I'm sure he's just here to get a bit of fitness in his legs. And then the other one is number nine, Sunsets, who I think ran third in the derby behind Riff Rocket and Apulia. So a couple of nice stayers kicking off um, that we can follow into the autumn. Yeah, absolutely. We saw Hitotsu um, a couple of years ago win the Australian Guineas fresh, but I don't think that Sunsets or Apulia um, will be doing that on Saturday. They're simply there to probably get back and finish off very strongly to carry on their campaigns up towards a Sydney ATC derby um, in April. So I think there's just kickoff points for those two horses. But again, you know, we've already discussed it with Roof Rocket. That's what we all thought about Roof Rocket last start. <laughs> These horses can True. run very well fresh with the freshness in their legs. Um, and so I wouldn't be surprised to see either of those two horses or both run a very strong race and be fast finishing on Saturday. Okay, Grace. Well, we've covered the three-year-old down in Victoria. So now let's head up to New South Wales where we have the surround stakes for the three-year-old fillies, a group one over 1,400 metres. Grace, we have a $3.40 favourite in the surround stakes with learning to fly at number four and then second in line of betting is Kamochi at $6 and then Tis Invincible at $6.50. Now, Kamochi and Learning to Fly had a bit of a battle last start in the Lightfinger Stakes, a group two over 1,200 metres at Randwick. Um, and now they line up again against each other on Saturday, but there's still quite a big discrepancy in price. So Kamochi won last start when they came up against each other, but learning to fly has come out as the favorite. Why do you think that is? Well, Fee, it is a very good question that you raise because I cannot work it out myself. I think this is another really good example of the boom that we just put on horses and assume that they're going to do what we believe they're going to do and sort of ignoring the facts of what's actually being presented to us. Um, Learning to Fly has always been a filly with a massive potential. She was the considered a very good winning chance in the Golden Slipper uh, this time last year as a two-year-old and she was so unlucky there. She was actually didn't finish the race. It was a fall. And she, um, yeah, didn't take part in the race from about the halfway mark. So since then, she's had a really long break and she came back first up in the, the light fingers where she was a $4.20 chance there. So I think what the market is saying, what everybody is assuming, that Learning to Fly had so much improvement in her first up that off the back of such a long break, she's going to improve drastically. Now, second up in her group one target of the surround stakes, but in reality, I'm sure she does have a lot of improvement, but why would Komochi not also have plenty of improvement? Komochi has had 
since um, we last saw her last preparation, 91 days between runs, that's Komochi, learning to fly 336 days between runs. So totally different campaigns. But but even still, Komochi is a good filly. Like she ran second in the 1,000 guineas uh, last campaign over the 1,600 metres. She's always been there. She was narrowly beaten by Tropical Squall, who's in this race first up. Um, in the group on flight stakes over the mile last spring as well. Like she has never run a bad race. She is so bulletproof. And um, for the fact that they're just assuming that learning to fly will improve drastically and therefore she will win, not buying it, not buying it at all, especially off the back of, um, you know, what we've already been discussing this episode. I think Komochi can win again and will be very hard to beat, to be honest. Barrier seven is okay, learning to fly barrier six, so they're probably going to, you know, balance up in a similar spot in the run anyway. To be honest, V, this entire race is traditionally a very open and even contest, and you can see that because so many of these fillies mm. are coming through the same form lines, like they've already been clashing each other. There's not a great deal between them anyway. Um, yeah, but I definitely think at $6, Komochi has got to be a bet in my opinion. Okay, Grace, so we've chatted about the two favourites, Learning to Fly and Komochi. Who else do we need to pay attention to in this race? There's a filly called Arctic Glamour who comes through the light fingers just like Komochi and Learning to Fly and plenty of other horses in this race. So firstly, what we need to establish is in that main lead-up race that so many of the fillies come through that they're now clashing again at the 1,400 metres on Saturday. Let's understand who was good in that race and who was flattered by the race shape. The race, the light fingers, 1,200 metres, was run at a slow tempo. So those horses that were on speed, like Chris Dilley, um, you know, they were just behind a slow pace. They were there in the finish because they the race was set up for them to not be able to be gotten past, if that makes sense. They were going so slowly that the, the task was too great for those horses that were out the back to actually get home over the top of them. So... When I'm looking at the light fingers, because of the race shape, what I'm doing is now stepping out to 1,400 metres, I'm sort of, um, you know, ranking those horses that were on speed and didn't win down a bit and those that were out the back and finishing off very strongly, I'm rating them up a bit. One of those is Arctic Glamour because she was towards the rear of the field in the race and she was very, very strong late. Like she was beaten three lengths but – her last 200 metres was the best of that race. She is a filly that has always shown that she's got lots of ability. At the end of last preparation, she went around um, in the Group 1,000 guineas where she ran okay. I think it was just a case that she'd had enough last preparation. She had a busy a busy time in the spring. Um, so I'm not – I'm sort of thinking that, right, she is a good filly. She had enough last prep. She's come back. She's got the writing on the wall that she is back in great order. And at the price, I think that she is a really good each way bet at $17 and $4.20 the place at the moment. Again, she's going to get back, but it's fine for her now 1,400 metres. Group one, there'll be um, plenty of intent around making sure that she's within striking distance at the top of the straight. So Arctic Glamour, I think, is a really good each way play at $17. There's also a filly called Roll on High. She is the Victorian horse that goes up to Sydney to take on the Sydney fillies. And she is a very nice filly. We've talked about her in the past. She's only had four starts and she's first up 1,400 metres in the Group 1 surround stakes. But I um, would not be surprised to see her measure up at all. Pretty aggressive placement from Peter Moody and Catherine Coleman, but their confidence in taking her up for this assignment, you know, on her resumption gives me confidence that obviously she's airborne and I've always liked her and followed her. So yeah, I think that she's got a really mm. good winning chance too. <clears throat> Super excited to see what she can do. Grace, I've noticed on Arctic Glamour that she has a gear change of visors for the first time. Do you just want to run us quickly through what visors are? They're not a piece of gear that we see all too often. So visors are, they look like blinkers, but they've got little cut out bits. We know with headgear that no blinkers, you can see absolutely everything around you. When you apply winkers, the horse's peripheral vision is sort of just obscured a little bit, and it means that their attention is, you know, um, side and forward. When you apply blinkers, 
you're really channeling your horse's focus and their vision and what they're concentrating on and can see ahead and looking at what's ahead, not what's next to you, not what's behind you, but what's in front of you. Visors are like blinkers, they're little cups, but they've got slits, cutouts, so that you can still see what's happening around you. So it's, um, again, a type of gear that you would apply to a horse to get them to focus on what's at what's in front of you rather than what's happening you know around you but it's not also completely cutting out the horse's vision either side so it's a step up from blinkers in terms of focusing your horse on what's ahead of them but a step down from blinkers it's sort of a happy medium yeah cool thanks for explaining that there's so much different headgear out there and yeah great to understand where they all sit and and what we can expect it to do for a horse's performance when we see it on and also sort of I guess, imagine what the trainer's intent is by putting that piece of gear on. I think that's the key to understanding gear is we can understand why the trainer might have applied it and we can also make an, a judgment on how much it's going to improve a horse's performance. Well, so thanks for I explaining that I should just also clarify us. then, Fee, in terms of why the trainers would want to put on visors second up in a group one, um, the thing that I would probably – what I would probably assume out of that is that she's never worn blinkers before. So she's never had um, any sort of headgear on before Arctic Glamour. So they don't want to go straight to blinkers because, you know, she might not necessarily appreciate that. Like it might actually be a negative for her, the type of filly she is. Obviously the trainers are going to know that best. But instead of going straight to blinkers, they've decided to go for visors instead so she can still have a little bit of peripheral vision. But the reason that they've put it on, I would assume, is that they want her to be concentrating in the early part of the race and not just be lazy out of the barriers, sort of like flop out, balance up towards the rear and then just finish off strongly. They want her to be concentrating and focused out of the gates, say, right, this is a race. We discussed this with Mr. Brightside last week and how the trainers put winkers on him, exactly the same circumstance. A horse that's showed not much gate speed, finished off strongly, but now we've got real intent to win the race. So we don't want to just balance out the back and finish off strongly. We want to win. You know, this obviously we need to be able to tweak what's happened last start. So the reason that they would have put visors on, they didn't want to go straight to blinkers. She's never worn headgear before, but they still wanted to sharpen her focus out of the barriers and through the early and middle stages of the race. That's so great uh, to understand that in more depth, Grace. So thanks for sharing that with us now. Before we move on to the blamey stakes, is there anything else you want to touch on or are we ready to head back to Victoria? I think it's going to be a really even race, but um, I'm excited to see who comes out on top. I think that the winner of this race can go mm. to the Coolmore Classic, again, at Group 1 level, but against the older mares. The Coolmore Classic is in two weeks for the fillies and the mares. So, um, and it's a handicap, the Coolmore Classic. So these three-year-old fillies, even if they win a group one or mm. run second or third, they'll get in with a, a relatively light weight compared to some of the other mares in the race. So it's going to be a good race and form race going forward as well. But I'm with Komochi and also Arctic Glamour as my value play in the race. Okay, well, let's head back down to Flemington now for race nine. We have the Blamey Stakes over the mile. Our favorite for this race is a tissue at $4.80 as well as Ayrton. They're both tied on the first line of bidding. And then we have Karini, number 14, at $7. And Macram, the big $150 upset last start, and at $8.50. I don't think you'll be catching him at $150 again for a while. Uh, a tissue has actually drifted out. She opened up at $4, whereas and Ayrton opened up at $4.60. So both of them have drifted a tissue um, a bit more. Grace, how is the blamey stakes shaping up in terms of race shape and things like that? It's always a race which um, is a great launch pad to other big features. At Group 2 level, you always have good horses in this race and then they might be eyeing off an Australian Cup, for example, um, going forward. But the way that this race is now placed within this prep, this autumn carnival is that it's two weeks out from the all-star mile and the winner of the blame mistakes gets automatic entry mm. into the all-star mile so plenty to play for here and lots of i'm sure there'll be lots of positive tactics to ensure that horses can get um 
you know, into the right spot and be in with a winning chance. There's not a heap of speed, to be honest, on paper. So you've got a couple of horses that are resuming that like to be on speed, Future History and Swazero, but not sure they're going to be super positive first up. They might happily balance and finish off strongly for their first outing for the campaign. Ayrton drawn barrier one, absolutely perfect. Could not have got a better barrier for him to be just behind the speed somewhere um, and within striking distance at the top of the straight. So Holly Man, same same boat, even Barkley Square, he's in a great position from barrier four. The ones that the race shape probably doesn't suit as much would be Macram and a tissue and also Carini. These horses have all drawn wide and they're all typically back markers. And from those wide barriers, I can't really imagine any of the jockeys rolling the dice and saying, nope, we're going forward today. I think that they're all pretty um, effective in their racing style as back markers. But what that means is that they are completely dictated to by what's happening up front. They need tempo to be on or they need to be able to creep and build into the bend to be close enough to the leaders at the top of the straight to get over the top of them, which hopefully these horses might be able to do. Yeah, so both of those tactics, like the creeping forward, but the tempo, like they all match together, don't they? And if we don't have a that speed, like you said, um, it's going to make it hard for those horses. Who do you want to talk about specifically in this field, Grace? Well, a tissue is really interesting because we know she's very good. She's a dual group one winner now. She won the Coolmore Classic, which we just mentioned before. Um, she won that last year. She also, last spring on the final day of the Melbourne Cup Carnival, won the champion stakes over 2,000 metres and was an enormous run seven days earlier in the Empire Rose. So high-class man. But what was with her first up run in the hmm. CFO stakes? I was really disappointed <laughs> in what she did that day. I think, um, you know, there's nothing that you can really say that she got it out the back and we assumed she'd finish off, but she was just under pressure the whole way. And, um, yeah, it's hmm. it wasn't even like a, oh, yeah, that wasn't bad, she'll improve. It was a, oh, I'm not sure if she's going that well this campaign. So we'll have to see, you know, on Saturday we'll find out. Um, there'll be no questions after Saturday. She might bounce back and, um, you know, her credentials suggest that she's going to be awfully hard to beat in this race. But, yeah, a little bit a little bit perplexed by that first up run, not convinced that she's going that well. So we'll have to see with a tissue. I can understand why she's drifted a touch. Ayrton, he's hard fit. He... He's hard fit. He's come back with a bang this campaign. I mean, he's he's now up to his seventh run for the preparation, but he just keeps racing very well. Wasn't far off them at Group 1 level in that same race that a tissue came through as well um, behind Mr. Brightside. And Ayrton from Barrier 1 gets every possible. But the knock on Ayrton is I don't think he is as good at 1,600 metres as he is at 1,400 metres. I, that's just my opinion. I know that, um, you know, there might be people out there that think that he is better over further, but I would prefer Ayrton at 1,400 metres and especially at Flemington with the long straight. Yes, he gets every chance with a soft run behind the speed from barrier one, but it's a long straight. You know, if you don't, if you're, if you don't see out a distance strongly, it's a long straight and you more than likely at Flemington get found out and get, you know, collared late as opposed to at Mooney Valley where the straight is so short, you can get away with it because the others just can't get to you. So, yeah, just a little query there with Ayrton about the distance, but Jamie Carr is absolutely airborne and she'll she'll make the right decisions on Ayrton. And then the two horses that really interest me, Macram and Carini, both come through the listed Elms handicap. We've spoken about it a couple mm. of times now this episode, but that is another great example of two stayers that sprint very well fresh. They were both first up in the Elms and they both just like were so electric with their, their sprints, especially Macram, who mm. won the race at those absolutely outrageous odds. Um, and killed everybody's quaddies on the day. Our apologies from Lindsay Park for all those ripped up quaddie tickets on that Saturday afternoon. But, um, yeah, these, these two horses, Macram and Carini, they're nice staying types who are very good first up. But the one thing I will say about Macram and Carini is you go have a look at their second up record, it's actually better than their first up record. They're, they're two, traditionally, mm. their two first races in a preparation are almost across their best. 
So I think both of those horses are in with a really good chance as well. However, they have drawn wide barriers, so they'll be getting back and, as we've already mentioned, dictated to the speed ahead. So it's an interesting race, this one. I think any of those that I've just mentioned Mm -hmm. um, would be a real worthy all-star mile contender. Um, so yeah, excited to see who comes out on top of the blaming. For me, it's a sit out and watch race because mm. yeah, it's all just a bit muddy for me. And I think that's reflected in this $4.80 favorite market too. Atishu should come out and win this. If she is, um, in for a good campaign this prep, she will come out and win this. Like she on paper is so much better than her opposition here. So it's her to be honest, it's her race to lose, but mm -hmm. she's out to $4.80 now for a reason. I think that's because a lot of people are, you know, considering she had a big prep last prep. Maybe she just hasn't come back that well this campaign, which can often happen, especially with mares. They can be quite, um, you know, moody certain preparations and other preparations they'll come back absolutely fine and flying. So, yeah, the right, we will find out on Saturday where a tissue's at, but if she is actually near her best, she should be winning this race. Well, Grace, we are definitely getting to the meaty part of the autumn now. There are so many high-class races each and every weekend, and I think we've done a good job getting through three of the top races uh, across Victoria and New South Wales for Saturday. Which race are you most looking forward to seeing? on the weekend. I'm definitely most excited about the Australian guineas because mm -hmm. um, lots of good horses coming from different races with those big three that we've mentioned and Vidad at the price as well. Um, yeah, it's going to be a really good contest. I can't wait to see who stamps themselves as the best three-year-old, um, certainly in Victoria anyway. Uh, and then after this Saturday fee, we go back to Flemington the following week for the new market handicap where we may or may not see Imperatriz. They haven't decided mm what her next start will be, but they've flagged the new market might be her next outing. So yeah, a couple of weeks at headquarters. Can't wait to, um, you know, be at Flemington trackside. Hopefully the weather's nice and uh, we'll be in for some stellar race days both weekends. I think something we should quickly touch on, Grace, before we end the episode is you and I were both trackside at Caulfield last Saturday uh, to see Mr. Brightside win and we headed down for a, a drink in the owner's room afterwards, which was lovely. But we were told while we were in there that it's the that was the last day that they were going to have owners in that room. I know you had quite a reaction to that news. Do you want to explain to us, you know, your thoughts behind um, that room closing and, and them opening up their new facilities in the coming weeks? Yeah, well, the thing is, it's not just the winning owners room that we're never going to be in again. It's the whole undercroft area of the caulfield main grandstand that's closing the reason why is that they've got a whole new um tie-ups stabling complex at the back and they've got a whole new mounting yard complete with jockey's room steward's room jockey weigh jockey weigh-in area winning owner's room television host sets it's all brand new so it's going to be sparkly and fresh and new which is good but i don't know I just feel like it's, I know you have to change, but there is so much history at these racetracks and we're going to experience the exact same thing at Rooney Valley in, I don't know when, a year or so's time because they're completely, they're knocking down the whole thing. Like literally the whole racetrack is changing its shape. Um, and it's just really sad, I think, because there's so much history there, you know, racing has got an amazing history here in Australia and we want to try and preserve that as much as we can. It's all well and good to have sparkling new facilities, but, and I understand why they needed to do it. I just really hope that Undercroft bit, which houses all of the things I've just said, where we were for the winning owner's room, where the trainers are in between races, I hope that they can preserve that and keep it as it is underneath, it's underground, um, just because of that history and maybe turn it into a museum or something that would be what I would love to see um, because it definitely deserves it's it definitely deserves to be you know a place of heritage and a place where people can go back and really feel like what it was like back in the day um, for generations going forward yeah I remember you saying to me on the day just think about the trainers and the jockeys who have been in this room over you know the whole period of Caulfield like the history of of all the people that have come before and the races they've won with the horses they've had like it would be such a shame to lose you know you're sharing when you go in there you're sharing 
that that space with them, you know, even though they're gone and things yeah. like that. But you go, oh, that person was right here when they won this amazing race, you know. Um, so I think you're right. Mm. I think there's yeah. definitely um, benefit in preserving these things and because Australian history is only going to get richer and richer and richer. And if we don't start preserving it now, we're going to lose the first bit of it, aren't we? Mm, definitely. The saddest thing that's going to come is when they do rip up Mooney Valley track, um, we're going to lose all the track records. So Winx's oh track God. record over the 2040 is going to be, well, no one will ever beat it, I suppose, but, like, you're not going to have that in the race book anymore. Oh, it's a 2040-metre benchmark 78. Oh, track record, Winx. You know, like, you're not going to see that anymore. It's not going to be there and visible. But, you know, mm. I'm sure it's – I understand why these clubs are changing everything, and I think it's going to um, only hold – Victorian racing, metropolitan racing in a great place going forward. But I just hope that the race clubs that are doing these massive developments and changes do preserve these historical bits. Very well said, Grace. Um, some food for thought, definitely. It will be exciting to get back to Caulfield when all the sparkly new things open up too, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, but I think that's all we've got time for for now, Grace. So we will catch everyone next week for New Market Handicap Weekend and have a lovely weekend have a great week and good luck on saturday with your punting and the tipping comp for those who will be playing in that and we'll catch you next week hello if you've made it this far in the podcast you are obviously a very serious listener and we are very appreciative of your efforts as a serious consumer of our content we would strongly encourage you to sign up to ladies who punt members for just $15 a month. We have a goal this year to reach 100 members by the 2024 Spring Carnival. And by achieving this goal, we can future-proof ladies who punt into the second half of 2024 and hopefully into 2025. So if you enjoy our content, whether it's the podcast, the newsletter, or the Ladies Who Punt Social Club, please consider signing up to become a member for just $15 a month. There's heaps of benefits to signing up. First of all, you get extra content and tips in our Ladies Who Punt members newsletter. You will get sent a free piece of merch. You'll also get to play in our very popular weekly tipping comp with a cash prize of $50. And you'll be granted access to our brand new members WhatsApp group called Tips Out for the Girls. So again, if you are a regular consumer of the Ladies Who Punt content, please make sure you sign up to our members group so that we can future-proof Ladies Who Punt in 2024 and beyond. To sign up, head to our show notes or head to www.ladieswhopunt.com forward slash members. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 